Welcome back, everyone, to episode four of the Wildly Unexplained podcast. I'm Gary. And I'm Danny. So we've actually, our Patreon's live, and if you'd like to support the podcast and promote future episodes with us, we're currently running a, a subscriber special, and signups right now are $2.50. Patronage will give you access to our community Discord, where you can dust cases or future content with not only us, but other individuals much like yourselves. And without further ado, let's hop right into episode number four. So today, Danny, we're going to cover Aaron Hedges, a 38-year-old hunter from Bozeman, Montana. Uh, he went elk hunting in the crazy mountains of Montana in early September with two buddies. So the three of them had planned out a week-long trip to the Cottonwood Lake Trailhead uh, on Thursday, September 3rd, 2014, which is around 20 miles north of the town of Billings in the Montana. So Aaron was bow hunting. You know, he had a handgun in his backpack. The other two men were armed with rifles. So they were intending to stay near Campfire Lake. Uh, the group hiked up to the camp with two horses and a mule. Aaron had walked in. Yeah, exactly. And at some point during this troop's tr- uh, the group's trip up to Campfire Lake, uh, their mule spooked, started bucking, and it threw the supplies it was carrying off the trail. Part of those supplies were actually, was Aaron's sleeping bag. So in... What I kind of you know thought was a little interesting about this is like I mean I wasn't able to find anything but you know I mean maybe you were uh, but what spooked this mule? I don't know. I wasn't able to find more information but I mean this is the wilderness so might have been a a snake some sort of animal Uh, it's all speculation at this point but it did uh, throw off their supplies unfortunately Aaron's sleeping bag and I think ultimately is what led to Aaron's ultimate disappearance. Okay. Yeah, it's just, it's very interesting. I mean, somebody who, you know, who is a seasoned hunter and everything, um, you know, just the mule gets spooked, throws off his supplies. You know, the guy's like, oh, crap, you know, I need that. You know, Mm -hmm. so what do I do from here? Um, But apparently on the morning of September 5th, Aaron, you know, to kind of answer that question, Aaron had decided to head up towards Sunlight Lake to try and replace his lost sleeping bag. And the reason being was that the group actually had a hunting camp at this location uh, that they had gotten the, the previous year. And they left a cache, which actually included a spare sleeping bag. So Aaron had originally planned on spending the night at Sunlight Lake. So his friends had told him that he needed to come back into camp as the area is, is isolated and very dangerous at night. So he explained to them, he's like, I'm just going in there. I'm going to grab the supplies and return to the, you know, to you guys, you know, in the evening, you know, yeah. no, so no his harm, no foul. Didn't think much of it. Yeah. The, the, his friends didn't think much of it. He was, he knew the area. Like he said, you know, they've, they hunted at this camp the year prior. So he knew how to get up there. So I believe Aaron went up there and later that afternoon, his friends at around 4 PM, they tried to get in touch with Aaron via, via their walkie talkies. And these walkie-talkies were uh, Garmin walkie-talkies, and these this equipment actually showed their perspective locations on the screen. What was weird about that is that Aaron's position was on the very edge of the screen, indicating that it looked like he missed the fork in the trail going up to Sunlight Lake, and he was instead heading walking northeast off trail. Which is which is very obscure for me. I mean, because as somebody who seemingly knows the area quite well, um, you know, why would he walk? off trail right 
and at this point there was no communication so all the only information his friends have to go with it is that he went off trail and they weren't able to get in touch with him so maybe if i'm his friend you know if we're hunting up there maybe he saw some game and he went after it that's my speculation when it comes to that situation yeah but i mean you know just kind of thinking you know playing devil's advocate here i mean even if i'm a hunter you know and i see some you know some sort of game you know, am I really gonna follow that off the trail? You know, when I don't have I don't have a sleeping bag, I have I mean, virtually no means of, of staying alive. You know, without a sleeping bag or you know anything to keep me, you know, warm essentially. You know, especially yeah. if, if we're not staying in a camp. You know, yes, there's gonna be a campfire. You know, there's gonna be you know a, you know whatever. But I don't have a sleeping bag, so I mean for me to veer off off trail here and you know go chase after some game when i don't have any sort of means to keep myself alive that just seems yeah. very strange to me yeah it seems like this was the point where they kind of realized uh, something unusual but you know not enough to to kind of call the authorities and, and go crazy mm -hmm. I'm, I'm thinking at this point his friends just thought uh you know he saw something maybe some game he wanted to get it being bearing in mind that he had communication he had his bow he had a handgun so there really wasn't a reason to be concerned at this point no and, and honestly like, like up until like this point like it doesn't really seem that weird you know but right. the, i mean the, really the only weird you know, like part about this is that he veered off the trail you know went to another trail something to that kind of nature but even then like that's still not like unexplainable right but then the you know they they realized he went off trail they weren't able to get in touch with him but his friends didn't freak out too much the next day on september 6th you know his friends okay realize aaron's definitely missing he he failed to return to the camp that night he wasn't there in the morning but you know at this point they're kind of they're holding on to hope that you know he killed something and he's on his way to drag it back mm -hmm. they're not super concerned at this point still but this is a they waited a whole day on september 6th and on september 7th a snowstorm came in with 18 to 24 inches of snow and the temperature fell dramatically from 40 to 50 degrees to 10 to 15 degrees Jesus. fahrenheit yeah and i mean again too i mean just to kind of go on the notion that i was saying earlier you know this guy like doesn't have any sort of means to you know keep himself you know warm yeah i mean unless, not unless, a sleeping bag. yeah no i mean in regards to a sleeping bag right so you know i mean i've been camping before in you know 23 degree weather and it's fucking cold like it, it's it's yeah. not it's not anything to to joke about i mean like that's that's it's freezing yeah, exactly. And I think at this point, his friends uh, believe he made it up to camp, grabbed his sleeping bag and stayed up there. But at this point, it's two days after Aaron left and a snowstorm came in. Ultimately, you know, they decided to get in touch with his wife and, and let her know what was going on because mm -hmm. they called his wife on the 7th, Christine. And she actually didn't call the sheriff's office until the very next day on September 8th. Yeah, which is a little weird, um, but I mean, like honestly speaking, you know, from from that perspective, I mean, you know, you know, you know that your husband is a seasoned hunter, like you know that he's got experience doing this kind of stuff. So I mean, maybe it's not that strange. Yeah. But also at the same time, too, you know, the Garmin walkie-talkie, you know, you can physically see his location. You know, so for me why wasn't that used you know why wasn't that utilized a bit more like why wasn't why why didn't they pull up the garmin walkie talkie and be like oh yeah hey he's right here you know hasn't moved or you know maybe it, he hasn't moved for five hours you know then yeah. obviously like something's wrong 
yeah i believe he went into like in the wilderness he went to he uh they weren't able to gather much more information from his location the day prior so i'm not exactly sure if his location was uh, available at this point but still you know missing persons cases they're the first 24 hours are imperative to to find yeah. and at this point aaron himself was not reported missing until three days until the last time he spoke to anybody right Which, right it's unusual but like i said I will, i'll play devil's advocate and chalk it up to they were really confident in his, in his abilities and the gear he carried out there. Maybe that's why they waited so long. Well, and that's actually how they justified their decision, you know, by saying that, that they had actually, you know, looked for him uh, and that he was also armed and an experienced woodsman. So like he, like he knew, like the, he knew that area. He was experienced hunter, very seasoned, you know, knew what he was kind of doing out there. And that's kind of how they justify, you know, obviously waiting so long, you know, to say, hey, we think something happened right and this was uh this was unusual for authorities as a corporal greg todd who headed up the park county search and rescue he was kind of unable to draw any conclusions at the time because and i quote to me that just seems too long to report somebody missing i can understand if your buddy's missing you can go out and look for him for a day but after that you need to get some help i might have waited a day he might have killed something and it might have taken some time to get back up to camp so I'll go look for him the, the next day, see if he needs help getting stuff out. But if you can't find him by the end of the day, you know, you need like you need to get the hell out of there and ask for help. So we can't really uh, speculate on the second guess. You know, the corporal said that people react differently to these situations, but we really can't understand the thought process of his friends. But I'm thinking it was overconfidence in his abilities. Yeah, and I mean, like, you know, th that's definitely something that can be taken into, you know, consideration, you know, uh, the overconfidence, you know, in the ability of, of the said person. But at the same time, too, it's like, you know, kind of like he said, you know, you go out looking, you know, for, for a day, you don't find him. Next day, you're ass out of there. I mean, go on and get help. Yeah, and that's you know? how I believe most people would treat that situation. But I mean... Like I said, they were confident in his abilities and his gear. And you could also blame the remoteness of the area and the lack of cellular phone coverage. They just thought, you know, the, the circumstances didn't line up for him to get back in time. But they were yeah. fully expecting him to come back down. Right. Well, and then at that time, you know, or, or at, at that moment in time, you know, the official search has started. The bad weather, which hit the area on September 7th, actually hindered the efforts to find Aaron. Yeah. Um, so the continuing storm made air searching basically impossible for the first couple of days, and horseback riders were actually initially sent out before others joined. Uh, so the search and rescue teams, you know, focused their efforts on the area that stretched from the Cottonwood Lake Trail to Trespass Creek. Uh, in that, they had 20 dog teams, 7 horse teams, 59 ground searchers, and National Guard and private helicopters equipped with night vision equipment and spotlights eventually joined the effort. Yeah, so they brought out a large uh, search and rescue unit to, to try to locate Aaron. I, it's massive. Like that, That's not just yeah. large, that's massive. I mean, oh. that to me, I mean, it, it, it's a lot of area to cover. So, I mean, I, I can definitely understand, you know, obviously bringing in, you know, a lot of this, a lot of these resources and everything. Um, but it's it's just it's crazy, and it, you know, especially yeah. with that storm rolling into like that makes it extremely difficult for you know for you know horseback riders to go in there and and really try to navigate it, and especially trying to fly a, a helicopter. 
yeah and when you know being that the storm was out there and the crazy mountains in montana you know they're they've got steep cliffs really dense uh, woods and on top of the falling snow it just it makes the situation really difficult to try to find anybody out here sure well and it's unforgiving you know uh, yeah like most importantly but Mm -hmm. six days after he goes missing aaron's boots were found so this is a wednesday so the second day of the search uh east of sunlight lake close to the creek in the falls uh they find the boots yeah and that's curious because when we talk a lot about a lot of these cases shoes seem to play a part in a lot of these uh missing persons uh, cases it's 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 usually a common you know common factor you know most of these cases mm-hmm. but in this particular case they actually appeared to be set intentionally side by side which yeah. to me again is very strange. I mean, look at right. look at the Adadero case we covered in our first episode. You know, shoes were you know essentially in in the same kind of order, right? Why? Yeah. You know, well, completely different circumstances. My speculation is because you know they found the boots and close by close by was a Camelback water bladder, and just off the trail was a fire pit with a partially burnt cigarette pack. A fire bundle, two waist belts from a backpack, which had been cut off, but were also located. But despite an extensive search, nothing else was found. And the two connected to the bladder had been removed, causing searchers to believe that Aaron had tried to drink water. Uh, I'm thinking at this point, maybe uh, Aaron was stuck in the snowstorm and maybe potentially his socks and boots got wet and he made a fire and he was trying to warm himself and dry off his boots. That's why I think potentially why he took off his boots, but it doesn't explain why he didn't put them back on. But, you know, keeping in mind that that no trace of him is found at this area, you know, right. it's just his boots and some some of his gear. So it, it would tell you that Aaron kept walking without his boots. Well, and, and I just want to touch on real quick, too, like, those details that we literally just said just kind of go to, you know, to explain how experienced he is, you know, as, as a quote-unquote woodsman. I mean, yeah. you know, so you've got a fire pit, you know, you've got, you know, like, the camelback, you know, the, um, everything that he had with him was for survival means, yeah, you know, so obviously minus the sleeping bag, but this guy knew how to how to how to survive in these conditions, you know, without having the sleeping bag. Yeah, and it looked like he he set up camp here to try and warm up. That's my speculation for why he removed the boots. But uh, puzzlingly, you know, the searchers were in that same spot a day or two before, but they didn't come across any of this item. So it would tell you that. Aaron was still alive and nearby when they were already searching this area the day before. Yeah. Well, and that's just very weird. I mean, just because like the, like the items just miraculously appeared, you know, one or two days later for, you know, these other searchers. And it's just like, all right, well, we actually combed this area, you know, less than a day ago. Yeah. So, and we've seen that in some of these cases, it's kind of apparent. It's a little bizarre. So my two cents on that is was uh aaron circling around the area and they just happened to miss miss him because you know keeping in mind there a blanket of snow and the storm was covering this area so granted very difficult to find anybody but just the fact that he was in an area that was already previously searched you know it makes you wonder yeah and and just the fact that you know obviously he did remove his boots i mean that, that is considerably strange you know, but even if hypothermia had set in, you know, which which caused him to remove clothing uh, and, and his footwear, 
he'd only have gotten a short distance, you know, without those boots, you know, because in, in two feet of snow, I mean, that's just gonna, that's gonna annihilate yeah. your feet. I mean, yeah. it, it, you're not only gonna get cold, but you're like that hypothermia is gonna set in. Yeah, and you're gonna get frostbite. I mean, typically people don't strip layers when they're cold, but there's this thing called uh, paradoxical undressing. Quote me if I'm like wrong on that one, mm-hmm. but uh, people apparently they become in a state of delusion when they become hypothermic and start stripping layers off. That's the only reason I would see Aaron removing his boots because why else would you take your boots off and continue walking in, in two feet of snow? You know, right. it, it, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and that doesn't make any sense to me either. But, you know, again, I've never been in that situation before where I've had to, you know, essentially take off medical clothing because of hypothermia. Um, yeah. And don't expect myself to be in that kind of situation. But, you know, it, it is kind of strange to think of it like that. You know, it, it is it is a very, you know, it, it is a paradox. Yeah, man, you know, he took off his boots. And inter- interestingly enough, as we've seen in prior cases, the sniffer dogs in the area weren't able to pick up a scent on, on Aaron at all. Which I'm finding you know, with, 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 as we're doing more and more of these cases, I mean, like this is becoming more and more of a common, you know, occurrence. Yeah. But uh, despite finding, you know, all that evidence that we just mentioned, you know, this, uh, September 22nd, so 19 days after he goes missing, officials actually decide to scale back the search until they received more information regarding this case. Yeah, and at this point, the kind of the trail went cold. There, there was no more to be found of Aaron. So, you know, they they scaled it back. They just chalked it up to he disappeared somehow or another. Something happened, but they weren't able to find uh, any any more of him. Yeah. Well, what what's interesting about this is that the following summer, June twenty second, twenty fifteen, um, around nine months after the, the disappearance, Roger Bezlanowicz, he was a butcher from Powell, Wyoming actually came across Hedges' belongings while visiting relatives. So, Bezlanowicz had to wait a while uh, whilst a relative was getting his fence fixed and everything like that. So, with some time to kill, he was looking around, you know, beautiful view, decided to go on top of a ridge. So, after taking in the vista, uh, Bezlanowicz took a shortcut through a stand of timber, and he saw an orange hunting vest, as well as a backpack and clothing. Yeah, and as I recall, Bazlanowicz, he was from out of town. He went to go visit uh, a friend at his ranch in Sweetgrass County. And yeah, so he's not from the area. He wanted to get a better view, and he went up to the ridge. And ultimately, he went down. Uh, He took a shortcut through the stand of timber. Oh, finding the orange hunting vest, backpack, and clothing. You know, and at the scene, you could he found there was a bow. Obviously, the backpack, socks, shirts, sweatpants, and the vest. The backpack had holes in it, which, I mean, authorities assumed were caused by small animals. Wrappers from granola bars, along with other debris, were scattered nearby. Aaron's gun and driving license were also in the pack, so obviously that narrows it down to Aaron was at this point within walking distance from ranch. Yeah, and and what's an interesting, you know, kind of tidbit for, for me personally is that where this pack was found, he would have been able to see the house from there. So he would have been able to see that ranch. Yeah. So why, you know, why didn't he go to the ranch? Yeah, if or he was did in he? trouble, yeah. Well, if he was in trouble, why wouldn't he, you know, get help? Is at this point he would have been missing for a while and I'm 
Uh, we're left to speculate why he didn't, if he was even at a point in a mental state to even recognize that he was a short distance away from, from being saved. I, I don't know. Yeah. So that area was searched uh, after he found the belongings. Strangely, at the head of the ridge, there was a thermos cup and an open energy drink. So obviously, yeah. like, so he was here. And obviously, like, yeah. like, like, there's actual evidence here to, to speculate that, you know, Aaron had been here at one point or another. Yeah, he would have been alive within walking distance from this civilization, from this ranch. Right. So August 8th, now this is 2016, yeah. near the ranch, some guests that were staying there actually found a skull underneath a dead tree. Yeah, crazy. So law enforcement was shown the skeletal remains of the skull, then began a systematic search of the area where they actually uncovered less than 80% of Hedge's skeleton, all within about 50 to 70 yards of the ranch. Yeah. The majority of the remains were concentrated in a 20-yard area. The spread of the remains was not atypical according to the sheriff, and I quote, you have to consider that he has possibly been there over a year. Within that year, you have weather events, predation, scavenging, everything from ants to bears, end quote. So that was still an ongoing you know, investigation, but they really couldn't tell, you know, what the man had died from. Yeah, the and, cause of death was, uh, they were, it's undetermined, you know, there was no bullet holes in the skull, nothing else to go on, you know, no more information, no knife wounds, no hatchet marks, no, I mean, obviously at this point his body was mostly uh, withered and disintegrated, so mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to tell what actually happened to Aaron that well, and, and again to, to go to go back to you know to, to what the sheriff was saying I mean you know there are so many different factors that that could have you know that just could have happened I mean you know you've got the predation you've got you know scavenging you know weather events I mean that's all of that's gonna you know have an effect on you know what this skeletal remain looks like you know yeah, and, and obviously where it is too no, that's true. I mean, it's it just came down, and you know, the sheriff said it, it's it's going to go down as one of those mysteries if they don't find any more information on it. Mm -hmm. Well, the investigators actually found a cell phone. Um, it was a Samsung right. cell phone that uh, he had near his body. So they were initially hopeful to recover any sort of information or data from it, but it actually ended up being corroded beyond repair. Um, yeah. Because I mean, think about that. It was exposed to the elements for almost two years. It, yeah, know, exactly. Multiple chemical baths, uh, you know, to to remove the corrosion, but they all failed. I mean, because again, two years out in the weather in the wilderness. I mean, I don't really know, you know, really any item that's got, or, you know, electronic, I should say, that's going to be salvageable at that point, you know, to to the effect of it's going to be working again. Yeah, and it's unfortunate they weren't able to get more information, but I mean, in the perfect circumstances, it'd be hard to get anything out of that phone after so long. Right. Well, and that, that's what I mean, too. I mean, you know, you, you take any electronic device and you put it outside for, you know, nearly two years, I mean, and try to get, you know, try to get it to work again. Good luck. Yeah. And after that, you know, there was no more uh, evidence to go on, you know, so you, you try to summarize, like you try to wrap your head around all the data and all the facts in this case. So if, if the hunting party began their trip from Conwood Lake Trailhead on the west side of the mountains, and Hedges, you know, Aaron was heading north to Sunlight Lake. 
how the hell did he end up on the east side of the range you know the distance he would have had to walk to be to get there would have been around 13 15 miles much of it would have been off trail through tough terrain including rocks and heavy foliage and this is all without boots mind you yeah yeah the vast majority is without boots not to mention the big storm had battered the area so the decision the decision to travel east uh, along that that trail it would have presented a considerable challenge for even the most experienced outdoorsman well and again i want to go back to that too i mean he had no boots on so yeah that that's that's for you know that'd be a challenge for an experienced outdoorsman with boots yeah but this guy made you know a trek 13 to 15 miles you know off trail tough terrain you know rocks the heavy foliage and dense you know bushes and everything like that without boots on like yeah so this kind of baffled uh, search and rescue you know they would wonder how can a man without boots walk in, in snow on his bare feet you know as the crow flies is around 13 miles mm-hmm. from where he was to the point where it was found and you can pretty much double that distance in reality due to the harshness of the terrain it's not right. like, you know you can't walk a straight shot in the wilderness with, with all the ridges and changes in elevation and the rocks yeah, and, and so another point I want to make, too, is that, you know, uh, going back to where his remains were found, so Aaron was within sight of buildings and close to a road, you know, why, you know, he, he was so close, why you know, why didn't he get there, you know, you know, what happened? Well, I mean, it, that's another thing, like, it's, we just don't know, so it just leaves room for speculation. Uh, Aaron and his friends were known to... Uh, trespass in the past have been known for poaching so what i'm thinking is maybe aaron was afraid that he was gonna get hit with uh trespassing or something along those lines and he didn't want to risk it but at the point that you know that he gets to this area he's traveled so far without boots you know it would make you wonder like he wouldn't care about getting caught on some silly uh, trespassing charge when his exactly. life is in jeopardy yeah and i mean i i've got to really question that just because i mean human nature i mean if, if you're if you're in a situation where it's literally life or death and you know and, and you have no boots on you're you're i mean I, I i can't imagine he didn't have frostbite i mean walking you know as as far as he did you know without boots on yeah he know. must have had frostbite and some sort of hypothermia which right. i mean that would have to explain the the removal of the boots i'm guessing or as i said earlier maybe his socks and boots were wet he took them off to dry them but why wouldn't he put them back on well right but even further into that notion though you know it it would be human nature you know to want to live to to want to do whatever it takes to survive so even if he is going to get caught for trespassing or you know poaching or whatever take it i mean you know whatever whatever you know the charges for that like take it like at least she'll be alive you know here you're dead like yeah, i'm that sorry doesn't but seem uh to make a lot of sense to me it doesn't and add I, up to me no and i try to like i try to put myself in, in Aaron's shoes and the situation he was in i don't i don't see myself doing that and you know you try to look online and try to find sources that try to give you uh more of an answer to what really happened but i mean i've seen theories that you know ranchers out here you know, maybe he trespassed on somebody's land and uh, they had something to do with Aaron's disappearance. And I've seen this theory a couple of times, but my problem with that is if, you know, if there is foul play involved here, you know, why would they go to the lengths of placing his remains and his gear in these particular areas like that? It just that theory just doesn't really add up to me. 
Yeah, but, you know, I also want to touch back to uh, the forensics, though, because, you know, I mean, to my knowledge, I mean, I wasn't able to find anything on here that said or that that led to any sort of notion that, you know, there there were knife marks on the bones or anything to that kind of matter to, you know, to really indicate foul play. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, from the point that he took his boots off, you know, one can speculate, well, maybe he was grabbed by a bear at this point. But the fact that his remains and, you know, not only his remains were found so far away, the fact that his backpack and his bow, because if Aaron was really in dire straits and you know why wouldn't he just drop his bow it's unnecessary weight mm-hmm. if he well, really had the thermic why would he carry his bow this whole time right and what well, and, and all of all of his other gear as well and, and why why would he have an energy drink that's just kind of sitting there on you know that, that was sitting there opened up and you know yeah so it kind of tells you that aaron at this point you know had had sit down and taken like a breather he he took the cap off the thermos he he poured a liquid into there he placed his backpack on that tree stump so some you know it just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me if he's really in this situation that he would carry all this gear and go and go ahead and place his backpack and his bow down it's 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 kind of bizarre yeah no it's it's definitely one of the one of the stranger cases that we've looked into i mean you know one being that you know that we that there were actually remains found you know obviously for Aaron, um, but two you know they actually found you know articles of clothing, gear you know etc cetera, etc, cetera, you know but they still have no idea you know what happened to this guy. Yeah, and Aaron you know that being said he was he was well geared. He had uh, the GPS tracker on his walkie-talkie, which he enabled, never reached out to his friends during this point. So. What happened from the point that he was walking on the trail to the point he started walking east towards who knows where, you know, off trail? Because remember, at the point that uh, his friends noticed he was walking off trail, the atmospheric event, that storm hadn't rolled through. So what actually, you know, made Aaron or what in his mind, why did he decide to go off trail if he even did? No, I just, right. I don't know. Yeah, a lot, lot of questions on this one. A lot of questions. Yeah. It's just, it's a bizarre case, and it's testament to the crazy mountains of Montana, man. And I've, I've actually seen a good amount of cases up here. Maybe we'll cover in the future. Okay. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like you know, I mean, the name, the crazy mountains. I mean, I guess a lot can happen there, or a lot has happened. Yeah, no doubt about it. So next on the list for today's episode, we have Ray Salmon, which. This one happened outside of Vancouver. Yeah, and before we get into this one, like with our research, trying to find more information on this, uh, this case is actually featured in David Politis' uh, latest book, Can-Am, uh, Missing 411, the Canada edition. And he covers a whole range of uh, missing persons cases up there that fit the Missing 401 criteria. And I found this information on an interview that he did recently promoting his book, and there's not a whole lot of info to go on just based on what uh, Dave Politis uh, said in the interview. But I thought it was an interesting enough case to, for us to kind of bring on here and try to break it down. Because Vancouver, Canada, apparently has the second largest cluster of missing persons in North America. Yeah, and, and that's a really interesting fact, uh, you know, just because of the fact, I mean, you know, I just kind of wonder how, like, how much that's been researched, like, 
you know, as far as that is concerned, because I know that the United States gets a lot of, uh, or has gotten a lot of attention as far as like David Politis is concerned, um, you know, but how much attention has, you know, Canada been, you know, been paid attention right. to? Because when of the vast the amount size, of wilderness there. Yeah, exactly. When you look at the size of Canada and the population density, you know, you can go miles upon miles without seeing anybody. You know, it's it's wild country up there. It for is. For the most part. Because this is, was just outside of Vancouver. The funny thing is that, you know, you drive uh, 30 minutes, an hour outside of Vancouver, it starts to get pretty, uh, pretty wild out there, you know, isolated. There's not a whole lot going on outside the major cities. Right, right. Well, and outside the major cities, I mean, you have, you know, small little townships and everything like that, but nothing, I mean, nothing extravagant, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. So this guy, you know, he goes out, you know, he went out with his dog, set up in a campground area, um, very remote and isolated. And again, you know, getting back to the whole, you know, it's wild up here. Yeah. Ray had actually planned to be there for about a week. You know, he had always taken his dogs as a safety precaution. Yeah, because keeping in mind, this is Canada, the wilderness, you've got all sorts of large game out here. So the fact that Ray always took his dogs with him, uh, you know, tells you what he he potentially could expect out there. You know, he was prepared. That's why he always brought his dogs with him. Yeah, and, and honestly, I, I don't know if I blame him. Um, you know, dogs are a great deterrent, you know, whether it be for, you know, for an animal or for even, a, I mean, even humans. Um <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I mean, I've got a, I've got a dog myself, and you know, anytime somebody ever you know knocks on the door or you know is she hears somebody outside, she barks and she alerts me, and and that's how I know, hey, somebody's outside my door. You know, so yeah, it's it's a, it's a great you know, like I said, deterrent. Yeah, no doubt about it. And you know, it's apparently he's done this before because he told his wife he was going to be up there for a week. He took his dogs, but apparently on the third night that he was there. Uh, on the camp campground nearby, people reported hearing gunfire. So, I mean, strange, but you know, maybe not super strange. But it's pretty isolated. So the people actually, they they called it into authorities. They they called in the RCMP, which is uh, I had to look this up. The RCMP is the Royal Canadian Mounted Police right. to investigate. Yeah, oddly enough, well, or oddly enough. They arrive on the scene, they don't find or see Ray. You know, his yeah. dogs are inside the camper. And after searching the area, they actually find a pile of clothing that's right near the lake. Yeah. So, the lake is located a couple hundred yards from his camper. Obviously, it's odd because it's it's cold. I mean, it's it's real cold out. Yeah, so thinking, thinking about that fact. So, his dogs are in the camper. And there's clothes, a pile of clothing in the lake. Why would uh, a Why would Ray leave his dogs inside his camper if he was planning on stepping away? Right. And why would he strip down and take? What, did he take a dip in the lake? You know, it's it's freezing cold. Uh, that that part didn't make a whole lot of sense. Right. And that that just that just tells me. I mean, I mean, you, you enter that lake. I mean, you've got a couple like minutes before you get hypothermia. Yeah. So nothing would like nothing would tell me that he would go in the lake to strip down go in the lake and take a swim that just that, just, that makes no sense right yeah and, and I mean at this point of the game there's still zero signs of Ray um, the next day the RCMP personnel arrive begin searching further Ray's wife Danielle had actually contacted Dave Politis and told him that the RCMP had shown up with a SWAT team and they went into the woods 
So now, Danny, I don't know about you, but I mean, have you ever heard of a missing person in the woods? You know, they call in the SWAT team. No, the only reason, uh, the only info I found on that is if if there's a criminal in the woods that's trying to elude uh, apprehension, that is the only reason I found why uh, authorities would bring a SWAT team out to, to look for somebody. Well, and that would make so, sense. But I, but I feel like at this point of the game, I mean, I mean, unless he's just, uh, I mean, maybe he just didn't check or didn't hear about it on the news or whatever. But, you know, I feel like you would know if there was like a, you know, a dangerous person, you know, out in these woods, if, yeah, he, if he did escape. Right. But, you know, at this point, they, they bring SWAT out. So they obviously think something dangerous is lurking out here. A person, an animal, I don't know. But, you know, they bring out the SWAT. But Danielle's, uh, Danielle, who is uh, Ray's wife, she's kind of kept, kept out of the loop during this whole investigation. Which is weird. You know, why, you know, it's the man's wife. He's obviously missing. Why, why wouldn't you disclose more information for her? Well, right. And they really kept her, you know, at arm's length, you know, with this whole investigation. Mm -hmm. Um, So after three days of searching, they actually tell his wife that they think he's in the lake. So at at this point of the game, I mean, I kind of wonder, you know, what makes you say he's in the lake? You know, I mean, aside from the, you know, the clothing being found right next to it. Yes, that's odd. Yes, that would, you know, I mean, logically point to maybe he is in the lake, but why? All right, and if, I, I get it that you might think he's in the lake, but so what led you to bring a SWAT team up to the wilderness and try to look for this person? You know, why would you bring another a valid point? specialty team to go in there and find somebody you know did you suspect foul play of some reason and why aren't you telling the guy's wife uh the information on this yeah well and and it's it's just it's very unexplainable you know most most of this so far yeah it's unusual to say the least but you know they like you said they after three days they tell his wife that they believe he's in the lake so Ray's wife, Danielle, she hires a team with sonar capability to scan the lake for Ray's remains because obviously he hasn't f- been found at this point. If they think he's in the lake, he's going to be at the bottom of the lake. Mm-hmm. So the sonar team comes out. They scan the lake. They pull this uh, sonar behind them on their boat. They scan the lake for three days. And the team guaranteed her that Ray's body was not in that lake. Yeah, and I mean, if, if it's not like a like a vast you know gigantic lake i mean we've got the technology nowadays you know to be able to do that you know to to be able to do that sort of thing you know to to comb a lake like that you know our technology is is incredible these days you know for for them to come back and say nope he's definitely not in there you know right that's very strange for me just because of the fact you know this swat scene was like oh yeah he's probably in there like who knows and just kind of like brushed her off no, it, did, it definitely didn't make any sense, but, you know, that's kind of where we're left at. So summarizing everything up, you know, all of the facts, you know, A, Ray never left the truck without his dogs, you know, because they provided safety against large predators. That was his deterrent. The the pile of clothes next to the lake, uh, that part right there, that kind of stuck out to me. That didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Why would he strip down? You know, is there foul play involved here? Because if he was, you know, people say paradoxical undressing because of hypothermia, but he was within short walking distance from his camper. So, well, right. And he had, you know, protection from the elements. So, yeah. you know, why would he take off his clothes at the lake? 
yeah that, that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me and why did the rcmp feel the need to bring an armed swat team out during their search and rescue efforts uh, I, I don't know man that, that's weird but you know since uh, ray's wife contacted david politis you know they both filed a, a freedom a, a foa request the freedom of information act request against mm-hmm. the rcmp and to, and the government they, they filed against RCMP and the government to get a copy of all the reports reports pertaining to the case. They got one report, Gary, which was three pages long, and it was ninety five percent redacted. Yeah, and see, like that to me just there's screams that that there's something that they know that they don't want us to know. Yeah, they told his wife that they can't release information of, of the of the on that case. So, what is it a sensitive criminal investigation? Is there something they don't want the public to know? But that, that's all. That's all the information we're left with on that case. I mean, that, that's that's what I would that, that that's what I would be led to think. I mean, that that there's something that they know that they don't want the public eye to figure out or to know. So, I, I mean, know, at, was... at this point of the game, you know, did you know was it some sort of predation case where, you know, where he was just dragged off somewhere you know never well, be found again thing, right my thing is if it was a predation case let's say a bear grabbed ray and dragged him into the woods okay that's unfortunate but if if that would have happened what's keeping you from telling the guy's wife about it why are you holding so much information about this people know bears are dangerous so why are you withholding all this information on it that I don't know. Well, not to mention the fact, I mean, you know, like clothing by the lake. What's what's the bear walking up to him being like, yo, let's take your clothes so I can drag into the woods and eat you. Exactly. So, like, all the facts in the case, they, they don't mesh well. So, is it foul play? I, I don't know. There's just not a whole lot of information to go on. But it's definitely, it's a bizarre one, to say the least. Huh? Yeah, th- this is definitely a strange, a very, very, very strange case. I mean, just because of the fact, I mean, that there are so very little details, you know, that, that kind of play into this into this uh, case that we're we're looking into but you know it, it's it's one of those where that just kind of makes you scratch your head and it's kind of just yeah. like what the hell you know yeah definitely it's it's a weird one and like if if you want to get more information on this uh you know this is i believe this book dropped in november september something like that uh, missing 411 canada and he dave covers a lot of these clusters in in canada and i'm sure there's more information there but as of right now that that's all the info we're left with at this point yeah and i'd actually i'd like to try to get a copy of uh of that report um yeah. so if, if we are able to actually get a copy of that we'll actually post that um on our social media and just kind of give you guys kind of a heads up, you know, as, as far as where you, where you can find it. Um, Cause I am actually very interested to see that, but I mean, if it's yeah. 95% redacted, I mean, that that's, you're basically looking at something that's got, you know, hole after hole after hole after hole. Exactly. So, I mean, we'll, anybody ourselves and anybody is free to file a, a freedom of information act on, on this particular case like i said there's not a whole lot to go on but i would love to find out more information on this it's it's definitely intriguing yeah no to say the least but that's what we have for today um so you know just kind of going back to it you know if, if you guys have any sort of cases that you want us to look into or you know any any like unexplained events that you that you have or that have happened to you or you know whatever um, you know, please feel free to reach out to us, the wildly unexplained at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got plenty of social media. Yeah. And, uh, our YouTube page is dropped, you know, we're, we're planning on putting all our episodes on there. If you're interested in that in the future, we, we'd like to stream our episodes so you guys can, can watch along with us. 
yeah, and, and we're, we are building a Discord community. Um, you know, access through that is going to be through our Patreon. So, you know, if you are, you know, if you do feel inclined to support our podcast and kind of support our future, you know, episodes that we do create, um, you know, please support us. Please, you know, spread the news, kind of, you know, pass us around to, to whoever you think would be interested in us. Yeah. Um, you know, but we'd love to kind of hear from you guys. So, you know, again, yeah. You know, reach out to us on social media, email us, you know, any, any sort of content that you feel is very unexplained or, you know, just kind of mysterious. Right. And, you know, be sure to like, subscribe, uh, wherever you stream your podcast from. Also, uh, write a review. Those help tremendously. I know uh, if, if, if you feel inclined to and you like the episode, definitely let us know. Let other people know that, that you like this episode. It'll help us a lot to, to keep all these episodes going. Yeah, for sure. Well, great, uh, great talking about this, Danny. But uh, for now, signing off. See you later, brother.